Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Thank you for making this message a part of your week. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we would love for you to visit our tribe family. We meet on Sunday at the Snow King Conference Center. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can find us online or on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn to the book of 1 Samuel? So we're going to be in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. And uh, while you're turning or waiting for that page to load in 1 Samuel, um, have you ever seen like at the bottom of a newscast where they have to like make corrections or like there's a section in the paper where they make corrections, you know, a misspelled name or, or one little fact that needs to be corrected? Like... Talk to me if you've seen the corrections section. Okay. All right. So at the top of my notes, I'm going to start with a correction this morning here. Um, And actually, it's really more of an update. Um, The the really famous board game company, Mattel, that factures the children's game Shoots and Ladders. They've just released an update to that game where you climb up the ladders, but any shoots that you hop into actually take you forward is a correction from last week's uh, message because actually you all know that the board game you climb up a ladder or if you get in a shoot it takes you backwards Uh, but in my mind the analogy was so good I just had to go for it and uh, you guys were picking up what I was putting down last week right I told this I was like I was like oh my gosh I've said some dumb things from the stage if that's the dumbest thing, I'll be excited. But I was like, at least two people corrected me. Actually, a shoe takes you backwards. <laughs> thanks, 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 buddy. Thank you. Uh, so uh, today, I'm gonna, I'm not going to make any board game references. Uh, I told you to turn to First Samuel chapter 14, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at a story found in First Samuel chapter 14. And I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read most of this story. This story could be familiar to many of you. It might be new to some of you. And if this story is new to you, I'm so excited that today is going to be the first time that you get to hear this story because it is. It's one of my favorite stories for a lot of different reasons. And as I was preparing for this week, uh, I was I was cruising along through His Word and. I always have a running conversation with the Lord about, hey, what is it that you would put on my heart to share with your people? What what do you want to communicate to your people? How do you want to lead your people? And he led me to this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And as I read this, I want to share with you four key aspects in this story that I feel like the Lord just highlighted for me. So why don't I why don't I read this right now? I'm going to start in, let's start in verse 1, and it says this. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped at the outskirts of Gabiah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, who had, ser- who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called 
Boaz and Sena. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of these pagans. I like how he kind of throws that little zinger in there. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he is with many warriors or only with few. I love what his armor bearer said. Do whatever you think is best. The armor bearer replied, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then. I think maybe Jonathan was hoping for his armor bearer to talk him out in that moment. Like, let's go cause some trouble. And for his armor bearer to be like, well, I don't know, Jonathan. Maybe we should just pump the brakes here. And then Jonathan gets off the hook. Like, well, I wanted to go tear him up, but it was my armor bearer. He, like, really held me back. And so... All right, this is just what I'm seeing as I read. Maybe it's just for me. Verse 8, all right then, Jonathan told him, we'll cross over there and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where we are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw him coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. All right, here we go, Jonathan said. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. Then they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed 20-some men in all, and their bodies were scattered all over about a half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both the camp and in the field, including even the outpost and raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. What a great movie this would be. <laughs> Saul's lookouts in Gabia of Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. Call the roll and find out who's missing, Saul ordered. And when they checked, they found out that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. Then Saul shouted to Ahijah, Bring me the ephod here, for at the time Ahijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. So in the Old Testament, it, it was this ephod was a like an outfit that you wore, and whoever wore the outfit was the one that could have a connection and communication with God. That's kind of how it was was set up in the Old Testament. Thank goodness that for us today, if we need help, if we need somebody to talk to that all we have to do is open our mouth and, and pray to God, and he's right there. And you don't even have to wear a silly hat. <laughs> but while Saul was taking, talking to the priests, the confusion in the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priests, never mind, let's just get going. Then Saul and all his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews, who had previously gone over to the Philistines' army, revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, with Saul, Jonathan and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, men of Israel who were hiding in all the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw how the Philistines were running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond in Beth-Avon. So there's four things I want to I highlight and point out to you in this story that, that I feel like the Lord just put on my heart to share with you today while we're out here in this outdoor service. And if you're taking notes uh, in your book or in a, on your phone or if you brought your journal, do we pass these out? They'll go out later? They'll go out later. All right, so just remember these and then you can write them down. 
Here's the first thing. In verse 1, it says this. Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. And if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to write down. Complacency is contagious. Complacency is contagious. So why didn't, why didn't Jonathan tell his dad Saul? Well, in the story that we just read, you see that Saul and these 600 soldiers were hanging out under this pomegranate tree. They weren't engaging in the battle. They knew right where the enemy was. They knew that the Philistines had invaded their land and their territory. So the, the, the Philistines needed to be routed and to be shown where the door was and ushered out that door in an aggressive manner. But yet, Saul and his 600 soldiers who were armed, trained, ready for battle, were doing nothing. All 600 of them. Complacency can be contagious. And so that's why, that's why Jonathan had to separate himself from the rest of those soldiers. There may be some people or some situations in your life that you need to separate yourself from because if you continue to stay in that situation, this, this idea of, of this, this sickness of complacency will get all over you. Because here's what happens. I don't know, maybe I'm the only person that, that has ever felt like this, but think about when it comes to fitness. When you hang out with other people that are really fit and, and really active, what does that do for you? It kind of like it kind of kicks you in the butt, makes you want to get more active, more more fit. But what most people do is end up finding people that they are as fit as, or they're the fittest one. Maybe you're the fittest one of your friends. But there's no incentive or no motivation. If you don't hang out with people that are more fit than you are, you're never going to get more fit. If you don't hang out, if you don't ski with Anna, you're never going to be a better skier. You might be better technically, but you will never be as fast or hug as big as Anna. But there's this idea, there's this idea of, of having a group of people that are all sitting around, not going anywhere, not doing anything. And it's important for you to realize that complacency can be contagious. All 600 of them stayed there. It was only Jonathan that, that left and that broke free. And it was such a big deal to Jonathan that he couldn't even tell his father. And so the challenge for you is maybe there's a situation or a relationship or a, a place that you often go to that is just breeding this, this idea of complacency. And you might be the best one but that's only because you're hanging out with people that are like less. Does that make sense? Now think about it when it comes in terms of sin. Let's poke a little bit at this. When you say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, you know, with my character and my life choices. Like, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I go to church on Sunday. I heard they had coffee and donuts and it was outside. So, you know, I go to church on Sunday when I can. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of a good person, you know, you know, I buy my party a little hard, and, you know, but I only sleep with one girl at a time, I only sleep with one guy at a time, whoever it is that I'm dating. And then here's what, what, what's so easy to, to make the shift in your mind, is to say, well, I'm certainly doing a lot better than, 
right? And we kind of we tend to look at we kind of tend to look at maybe somebody in our peer group or somebody in our, our friend group. They're like, oh well, they're really bad. They're sleeping around like crazy and they're living wild and and just being they're just being crazy and ah, I'm not as bad as that. So you have to be very careful about who and how you compare yourself. The Bible says in the book of Psalms exactly what we should compare our lives and our character to. Then the Bible says, when I compare my life to your word. So that's a pretty good standard. Number two. Verse six, it says this. I love this verse. If, it, if it's not already written down or underlined in your Bible, you should go ahead and do that. Verse six says this, and it's talking about the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. What I wrote down in my notes was trust is a must. Trust is a must. You know, it's it's understandable to, to and very reasonable to think if you are, maybe, I don't know if anybody in here has actually like gone to war or led soldiers in battle, but how about maybe building a house or considering a school to go to, or maybe you have a move that's coming up. You don't do any of those kind of things without at least first considering what it is that you're about to get into. You make your plans. You decide, can we afford to live here? Can we afford to make this move? Can I afford to make this kind of investment with my time? So what you do before most people do, before they take a step, is they consider what it is that they're about to get into. But this little verse has big implications. Because right in this verse, it says that, that our God is a big God. And he can do incredible things, whether we have a lot of resources or whether we have few resources. And this verse says to me that it actually doesn't really matter what's on our side of the equation. What's most important is that we put our trust in, not in our own confidence and in our own abilities, but we put our trust in Him. That's why I want you to write down, trust is a must. If you're trusting in your own resources, oh, I could never, oh, I just can't, how, how could I ever, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But if you're trusting in who it is that's calling you to do perhaps this seemingly impossible task for the sobriety for the rest of my life, how in the world? Oh, but that's where trust is a must, when you trust Him. Because He can win a great victory, whether you have a lot of willpower or whether you got just a little bit of willpower. It's all about Him and how amazing He is. Does that make sense to anybody? Okay, okay. All right, let's keep going. Here's the third thing. Commitment is crucial. Look at, look at verse 13. So Jonathan tells his armor bearer, like, hey, let's go, let's go tear up some Philistines. And his armor bearer's like, yeah, let's do it. I think maybe, I don't know, in my imagination, I picture Jonathan being like, really? I was kind of hoping you'd talk me out of it. I've got friends like that, that I'm like, hey, let's go, let's go climb this or let's go to that. And, and they're like, no, let's go. And I'm like, wait, I was kind of hoping you would like talk me out of this. <laughs> But being a good armor bearer, he's like, yeah, let, let's do it. So uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, who's never even mentioned by name, 
set off, and you need to imagine the, the geography here. Um, uh, how many of you, I know this won't be a lot of you, but it was the best I could come up with for the terrain that they're actually in, but how many of you have ever ridden the tram at the village to the top, and you've hiked off uh, the backside of Rendezvous Mountain, and you're going to ski like four shadows, no shadows, and you got to climb up that little ridge on Cody Peak. Wow, I'm so impressed with many of you. That's great. So, so you ride the tram up, you you hike off the backside. You're in the like back country, and there's this there's this rock escarpment that you kind of have to just scramble through. There's not a lot of exposure. It's not too dangerous, but it definitely requires hands and feet, and in the wintertime you've got these plastic ski boots and big gloves and it's a little more hairball. But if you look at these two places that they were having to climb from, they had to climb down from one escarpment in through a valley and then up the other side. And it's interesting that there's a detail that's given to us in the story that says they climbed with their hands and their feet. There's two reasons that that detail is told to us. Number one, in a, in a really practical term, it's letting us know, the author of 1 Samuel is letting us know that it was some steep terrain. It's not just a hike, it's not just a hill, but they actually had to use not only just their feet, but they also had to use their hands as well. But there's another reason why that detail is in there. And I told you to write down in your, in your notes that commitment is crucial. And here's the idea. It required everything that Jonathan had. Not just some of his resources and his ability, but it required everything he had. As little as it was, two little feet, two little hands, all he, he had to engage everything. There's not, there will never, ever, ever be a call of God on your life that comes from the Lord that won't require everything you got. But it doesn't matter. Remember, it doesn't matter if it's a lot or just a little bit. It almost seems kind of weird that a moment ago I said, it doesn't matter what you have. And now I'm saying it requires all that you have. But here's what you need to understand. When you take your little two fish and five barley loaves and put it in the hands of God, just the little lunchable of your life, and you put it in the hands of Jesus, he can do something amazing and incredible with it. I think so many people get stuck never trying to take a step out for the Lord because they're so busy looking at all that, well, I'm not, I'm not as good at this as this person. I'm, I, I'm not nearly as capable as this person. Or I saw my friend step out and do, oh, I could never do. Quit looking at other people and focus on the hands and feet that you do have and give those fully to the Lord. And I'm talking to every single person within the sound of my voice, not just the grown-ups that have like jobs and cars and things. I'm talking to even those of you without a driver's license yet. I'm talking to you especially. You don't ever, ever, ever have to think about, well, when I grow up or when I get to be a big kid or when I get into high school. No, 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 no. God, this is, this is what God does. When he sees a young person take this is the throne in heaven okay and you know the bible says that he's the king of the universe right 
and all kings sit on thrones, camp chairs. When he sees a young person step out in faith, Lord, I feel like maybe you've put a, a dream on my heart. Maybe it's uh, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a choice to uh, uh, sit next to the kid at lunch that nobody ever sits next to, or maybe uh, maybe starting a Bible study in your school. Maybe you want to uh, you know whatever it is that the Lord has put on your heart. All of these voices saying, oh, you're too young, you're too little, it's not going to make a difference, it's not going to have any kind of impact. All these voices chattering at you, but when you make, when you put your trust in the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm going to step out in boldness, I'm going to share my faith with my friends or, or for you, for you grown-ups, they're like, I'm going to share my faith at, at work. And you dare to trust God and you step out in a, in what you might think might be really the hardest thing you've ever done but also insignificant this is what the Lord does it causes him to take notice and to lean forward on his throne to say did you just see the temptation that one of my kids resisted and then he goes like this wait and he he gathers the angels around to say listen listen to the prayer of this little girl she's 12 years old but she's praying for her entire city for revival to break out, for revival to break out in her school. Did you, these are the kind of prayers, these are the kind of actions that get God's attention. But all of this is predicated on the idea that trust is a must. It required Jonathan's hands and his feet. And what we, what we, just, what we just said is that commitment not only is trust a must, but uh, but this idea of commitment is crucial when we just give it everything that we have. And here's another part uh, of this verse: hands and feet. Not only is this idea this uh, idea of full commitment, but there's also some partnership involved. And here at Tribe, there's a lot of there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of partnership and cooperation that has to happen each and every week just to pull off a, a service. I don't know if you think of Tribe as your home church and you just walk in and the lights are magically set and the stage is just magically done. You've dropped your kids off in this fantastic children's ministry environment that just magically, it's a, there ain't no magic to it. It's a lot of elbow grease and a lot of work from a lot of volunteers that get here early and stay late. And think about even just this service. Oh, it's great. I just walk up. I sit my chair down. I'm glad that you can do that. But please don't ever think that it's just as easy as like setting up some, some chairs. We had volunteers, as I mentioned earlier, at like 7.30 in the morning getting ready and setting up. And there were, this, there were weeks and days going into this planning. And here's what I want you to take away is that there needs to be a level of cooperation within our tribe fam to pull off a service and midweek events like we do. And I want to tell you that I'm so proud of each and every one of you, how well you guys do work. We're, we're only, what, two and a half years old? We'll have a third birthday this fall. We're only two and a half years old, but the amount of, of cooperation and teamwork that I see within tribe is always inspiring to me. 
And I want us to be, not an example, but I want us to continue to be team players with all of the churches here in this valley, the big C church here in this valley, so that all of us working together can make the name of Jesus famous in this valley. So maybe one church are hands, another church are feet. We get to be the whatever body part you want to think most fits us at tribe. <laughs> Armpits, I don't know. Nose, something to, I don't know. Uh, but uh, if you if you have seen in, on social media and the news, like uh, Gateway, they've gone through a transition from River Crossing to Gateway, and uh, this is Gateway's, like, this is their big Sunday, kind of like their rebranding and their launch, and that's happening today, and how exciting is it that, that the work of God down in Raptor Jake not only is just continuing, but it's getting to take on, like, all new life, and so uh, they, somebody, I got a text from somebody uh, last week asking me if they, if I knew where uh, a water shutoff valve was on the property, because I used to be at River Crossing, and I said, well, I don't know, but I've got a couple ideas. I can come down there and, and help you look for it, and man, it was like, like, like ants crawling all over each other all on the property there as all these different subs were like really like just breathing fresh life into that building and into that ministry and so how exciting is it that that they get to have their grand opening today and uh, if they're the hands if they're the feet whatever it is that the body of Christ is like like doing stuff and is is alive in this valley yeah. Yeah. here's the Here's the, the last thing. The last thing is this, verse 22. If you look at the end of this story, so Jonathan starts whooping up on these Philistines. The Philistines, they start panicking and going in all directions. They're running away, they're fighting, but they end up fighting each other, they're killing each other. There's absolute chaos in the camp. And when King Saul sees this, he's like, we don't even have time to wait, just grab your sword and let's go. And the fourth point is this. Courage is also contagious. In a way that I said earlier, complacency is contagious, and it's easy to get stuck in a rut. And if you're stuck around people that, are, that aren't going anywhere, aren't doing anything with their lives, it's really easy for you to look just like them. But in a similar way, courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. There are two aspects to this idea of courage being contagious. Either somebody else near you, around you, can make that first step, and when you see them do it, you think, oh, well, if they could do it, I can do it. That's one of the, one of the things that inspired me about running across Mongolia. I watched this documentary of these guys that ran across the entire length of the Sahara Desert. And I'm like, well, they could do it. Maybe I could, maybe I could run across a country or something. There's, a, there's also a movie. Uh, and I always forget the name of this movie, and I ask you guys every time, and you're like, oh, yeah, and I'll, I'll never forget it again. Um, uh, but it's about this, like, doctor guy, and, the, like, the plane crashes, and they're going through the wilderness. And uh, he always has this quote that he continues to say to himself, that what one man can do, so can another. Uh, and it's so true that courage is contagious. 
the trick is, are you going to be the second person, or is God inviting you to step out and be that first person? Courage is contagious. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord look all around, to and fro, seeking whom he can encourage. If you want God to sit on the edge of his seat and to look down at our life, it is simply responding to the invitation that he has for us to simply be courageous in whatever way that he's calling us to be. You might think it's a big deal. You might think it's a little deal. Well, maybe I should be courageous when God is asking me to do something really big. It could be something really simple. Praying for your children every night. That person that you've been praying for to come to the Lord, maybe they've come to the Lord, uh, maybe they, they just haven't come to the Lord. In fact, they're like off, far away from the Lord. God is inviting you to be courageous. Pray one more time. Pray one more time. And watch what happens as you step out with courage. You'll find that it's contagious and it gets to leak out on friends and family members and other people. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do. There's always got to be somebody that's first. Why not you? Whatever that is that God's calling you to do. Man, I've already got through my points. This is fantastic. Here's what I want to wind down with. And I'm going to invite Curry back up. There's a verse in the book of Matthew that says this. So we're going to get to, we're going to, get to make today's message, make an 18-inch drop just today. Here's, here's what I mean by an 18-inch drop from our thinker down into our knower. It's one thing to, to believe something right? Oh yeah, sure, I believe. But it's a whole nother thing to take that belief and put it into action. That's actually called faith, right? And there's a verse in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. These are the red letters in your Bible. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says this, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And here's why I feel like the Lord put this verse on my heart. is because he said, here we are in an outdoor setting. The walls of our church have fallen down today. I can see y'all, y'all can see me. The world can see us gathered here this morning. You can see the world, your friends riding by, people taking their dogs up, Snow King, and the reason why the Lord put this story on my heart is because he wanted to give you today, all of you that are gathered here today within the sound of my voice, an opportunity to make a public profession of faith. So now, think about this. When we are in our four closed walls in the room of a, of a church, there's some, there's some safety there. There's almost some anonymity there. You know, I can be one way in church, but then, you know, you, you might live your life, you might live a little bit different way when you're outside of the church. Well, there's no hiding here today. And maybe for some of you, you've invited Jesus into your heart, you've made him the leader of your life, 
you know that he's your savior. You know that that if your blood pump were to suddenly stop working, that, that you'd go to heaven. That's great. That's fantastic. Awesome for you. But maybe, maybe you've never made a public profession of that faith by, by some act or some symbol of letting the entire world know that Jesus is the leader of your life. Like, people at church know I'm a Christian, but maybe your friends at school don't know. Today, with the few minutes that we have left, I feel like the Lord has opened up a special window of courage for you this morning to take a stand and say, you know what? I've invited Jesus into my heart, and I want to make a public profession of my faith. And so what we'll do, what we'll do here, not yet, but when I say go, I want to invite any one of you to stand to your feet as a symbol of saying, I've invited Jesus into my heart. He's the leader of my life. And right here today, I'm making a stand by literally standing as a public profession of my faith so that everybody here in the city of Jackson can see and will know that I am a Christian. Does that make sense? Now, if you stand, it doesn't mean that like, okay, I, I, I'm ready to get saved. We know you're already saved. We know that you're saved. The Lord knows that you're saved. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, anyone who acknowledges, acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I'm going to acknowledge him in heaven. We don't have an opportunity like this. If you're a Christian and you'd like to stand up and you're within the four walls of the church, go ahead and do so. We stand up and nobody else sees that. Hopefully they see the fruit of our life. But I want to take advantage of the special venue that we have today. So let me be super clear. If you've already invited Jesus into your heart, so you are a Christian, but maybe there's stir, something stirring on the inside of you about, I don't know if I've ever like let the world know that I'm a Christian. And I'm not talking about just putting like a little fish on your bumper. I want to make a stand in front of all of Jackson and in before the Lord to let the whole world know that I have already invited Jesus into my heart and I want to make a public profession of that. I want to invite you, when I say go, to just stand to your feet. So I want you to consider it right now, if the Lord would be inviting you to do that. I've invited Jesus into my heart. That was personal and private. Today, I want to let the whole world know. If you don't stand, do you still go to heaven? Yes. So if that's you, you have invited Jesus into your heart, and, and you're like, the Holy Spirit's stirring something inside of you, you know, maybe you feel nervous or anxious, like, oh, that's just him talking to you. If you feel like, oh, I, oh, I don't want to do that, that's actually, the, that's how you know that you need to do that. Does that make sense? So if that's you, and you know it, and you've invited Jesus into your heart, would you just stand up? I want to make a public profession of my faith. Stand up right where you are. of Jackson, Teton County, State of Wyoming, 
dog walking tourists. Let the world, let the world know. But I'm taking a stand that Jesus is my Savior. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. But I want the whole world to know who lives on the inside of me and for him to live his life through me. Here's the next invitation. Just stay standing. Next invitation is this, that, that the Lord has been working on your heart. He's arranged circumstances for you to be here this morning, today. You have not invited Jesus into your heart yet. And you're like, uh, 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 you're all, you're all, palms are sweaty, your heart's beating fast. That's just the conviction of the Holy Spirit working on your heart, inviting you into a relationship with Him. And if today you have not invited Jesus into your heart, but today for the first time you would like to invite Jesus into your heart, well, guess what? Not only do you get to invite Jesus into your heart, but you get to make a public profession of it and look at all these other people around you that are standing in support of you. And so if you've not invited Jesus into your heart and you would like to do that for the very first time today, would you just stand up right where you are and say, I'd like to invite Jesus into my heart for whoever that needs to be out here this morning. Let's do this. Let's let's pray together. And I'll, I'll lead you in a prayer, but then I'd like you to take a little bit of time and just pray maybe, you know, if your family's right there huddled up uh, or just pray as you are. Let's take just a, a little a moment. And with the four walls of our church that have, that have disappeared, as it should be, because a church is not a building, but a church is a community of people, a light in a, in a, in a community. Let's take just a little bit of time and invite God to use our lives for him to be like Jonathan, to step out in boldness and in daring, to dare to trust the Lord for something big for him to, to shake, for him to change this valley. And so take just a moment, and either with your family or just by yourself, would you take just a moment and say, Lord, use my life like you did with Jonathan. Lord, use my life. The gifts, talents, and skills that I have, Lord, I lay them before you. God, I pray for my school. I pray for the team of people that I work with. Lord, I pray for my co-workers. I pray for my job. I pray for my boss. Lord, use my life like, like Jonathan, who had no idea what was going to happen, but he just said, come on, let's just go see. Father, would you take this group of maybe almost 100 people here, small, a drop in the bucket compared to the number of people that live in Teton County and come through this valley. But Lord, we just read your word that says it don't matter if there's a lot of us or just a few of us. 
we're just trusting you now. We ask that you would take our simple lives, our ordinary lives, and you would do something extraordinary with them. Father, we ask that, that there would be a move of your spirit here in Teton County where your glory would be revealed and people would be convicted of sin and their lifestyle, idolatry, paganism, materialism, that those strongholds would be broken in Jesus' name and that there would be a, a, a softening of people's hearts to return to who you are, to find you for the first time, to fall in love with you, for their lives to be changed and for this city to live, to make your name famous. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat for just a little bit more of a moment. And uh, in just uh, in uh, a moment here, we're going to we're going to receive an offering. Even though we're out here, we're going to get these buckets passed by and through. And let's just do this. Uh, if more than one bucket uh, gives, like comes by you, that's just the Lord saying you just didn't give enough. <laughs> Go ahead and tithe again, or you count your first bucket pass as your tithe and then the next time a bucket comes by you just that's my offering you just go ahead and give give the rest because it's it's not a matter of like just giving money but we do this as an act of worship right um and we sing songs we honor the word that's preached and then we take time to worship not the creation not the creation but the creator worshiping the mountains oh the mountains are my god the mountains my church that's like reading a really great book and asking, where can I get a bottle of this ink? Wow, what a great book. Why not, why not discover the author of creation? And so uh, in just a moment, we'll, we'll pray over the tithes and offerings. And Amanda's got a few announcements for us. Um, but really quickly, uh, if, you have your, if you have your smartphone and that's normally the way that you give, you can give a couple of ways through your smartphone. And this is new as of last week. On this Connect card, um, are those going around at all? Okay. Um, so you can, if you're new, you're visiting here this morning, I'd love for you to grab a Connect card, just fill it out, and you can, uh, you can put it, just tuck it right under here and it won't blow away. But um, uh, there's a QR code uh, that you can, if you open, I didn't even know this. If you open up your camera, you don't even need the app. You just like zoom in on, on this QR code and it'll send you a link to, to the giving. If you're giving by your smartphone, the new number, so if you have your smartphone out and you open up a new text message and you send it to 84321, that's how you can give through your smartphone. You just you just type an amount, like, like 10, 5, 50, 200, whatever it is. Press send. It'll send you a link. Once you've done it the first time, and I think many people, many of you have done it uh, last week, all you have to do, I created a contact in my phone for giving. I just open up that contact. It opens up a new text message. Uh, you don't even have to put a dollar sign or a decimal sign, just that number. Press send, and it'll tell you thank you for being generous. Of course, you can give by check or cash. Um, I'll pray, and then we'll send the buckets. What, what's your plan for buckets? This way, or like from back to front? Just 
gonna go, all right, I like it, I like it. Just, just go for it. Uh, so let's pray really quick. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to worship you in your creation. God, we ask that you would take uh, our tithes and our offerings and it would be a pleasing aroma to you, Lord. The, all of the hard work that, and the finances that have come to us by the sweat of our brow and the calluses on our hands, it really all comes from you. And so we want to take just a moment and tell you, specifically with our tithes and offerings, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for taking care of all of our financial needs and really all of our needs in life. I ask that you would take these tithes and offerings and you would use them to make your name famous here at Tribe in Jackson Hole and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. We pray these things.